This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. Hey, you want to know something weird? Always. The sun is up and you and I are talking. I know it hasn't been like that since the summer. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. Like, it's throwing me off my groove, but mm-hmm. uh, I kind of like it, too. Like, for one, I like having time in the middle of the day. Hello, Thanksgiving break. Yay! And I know that we're not sure when this episode is going to drop, so at some point in the future, you... Happy Thanksgiving, everybody! <laughs> I hope it, yours was amazing. Uh, yeah. Um, so how's it going? It's going all right. How about you? Meh. Yeah. Um, it was a rough day yesterday, not getting into it because no. I'll cry on the microphone, but I did have lunch with my uh, seventh grade orchestra teacher today. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. I haven't seen her in a long time. Uh, we wound up like being colleagues after, you know, after I wasn't in school, we performed together a lot and then she moved to Dallas. So I haven't had a chance to see her in a while. So it was nice to catch mm-hmm. up. That's good. I worked half a day and now i'm home and doing this you promised me you weren't gonna work today yeah well i lied i know i'll forgive you only this time they pay me actual money so (laughs) um you got a penny from me one time (laughs) okay so want to talk about this case movie case movie all of the above. I really I really like this case and movie combo. I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but I like the case. Well, I did not know a lot about this case. Um, I've seen a few things on it, but not a ton. And so it was interesting to watch. Also, Courtney Love plays a ghost. I am here for it. Hold on. I'm going <laughs> to... We got to stop this recording so I can watch this movie real quick. I'll be right okay. back. Okay, bye. <laughs> Now, did Kurt Cobain come with her? No. I'm disappointed. Same. Anyways. Oh, by the way, welcome to Lifetime Sentence. Oh, weird. I forgot. Um, yeah. I'm Paul. I'm Aaron. Oh, I panicked because I didn't know who yeah, I was. Yeah, did. Courtney loves ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> balls. Okay. So this week I watched Menendez, Blood Brothers. It stars Miko Olivier, who plays Eric Menendez. And the only thing from his uh, IMDb that I took, because it just made me so happy, he played the head warbler on Glee. I love Glee. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know you're talking about. Okay. I just love how his name on Glee was head warbler. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what else would you be? Um, Nico, I just realized their names were Miko and Nico. Are they actual brothers? No. Weird. Tortorella. He plays Lyle Menendez. He was in Scream 4 and Younger. I have not seen Younger, but I've only heard good things. And my favorite Broadway megastar is in it. So you'd think I'd seen it, but nope. No such luck. Um... Uh, it stars Benito Martinez. He plays Joe Menendez. He's from Sons of Anarchy, American Crime, and How to Get Away with Murder. I think all three of which he plays a attorney. So, okay, he's a little typecast. Um, 
And then finally, we have Miss Courtney Love. She is she Kitty? Kitty? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was going to get there. I'm but, uh, Anyways, Kitty Menendez. She's from The People versus Larry Flint. That's the other movie she's been in. But you all know her from Hole and as the widow of Kurt Cobain. And also the mother of probably the most attractive child on this planet. She's not my mom. Don't give me that People look. People can't see my face. I got uh, my eyebrows did a couple weeks ago. Head. I'm shaking my head. Okay, we open. We open on an idyllic screen with music playing in the background. Idyllic street, not screen. Sorry. Um, I was curious, but I was waiting to see where it went. A woman types while narrating a story about a kid who um, kills his parents, and it's Courtney Love. No way. No way, right? She looks up and tells a younger guy that strangling someone with a razor wire is just so... Um, Then she asks him for a writing credit for being his secretary, and he says, you'll get a special thanks, Mom. Courtney Love goes on about how she used to be cool when she was younger. Really? She won a beauty pageant, and she hung out with the cool kids. She was in the band Hole, and she married Kurt Cobain. Fair enough. Um, she wanted to be a TV producer, but instead she had kids to make her husband happy, which is a terrible reason to have kids. Absolutely. She goes back to typing for him and the click clack of the keys turns into bangs on the door and two guys busting into a bedroom with guns. It's the kid with the writing and another kid. They point the guns at who I'm assuming are their parents based on the family portraits, one of whom is, of course, Courtney Love. And start firing. Blood spatters across a photo frame and we cut to all the news stories about the murder. Which, like, real news clips. Hi, Tom Brokaw. I Um, love when they play real news clips. I know. And we get the title card. Menendez. Blood Brothers. Please tell me there's some really shitty music, too. No, it's actually pretty good music. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. August 5th, 1989, two weeks earlier, the writer kid, Eric, also plays tennis. He's playing a match while his father sits in the stands and brags to the lady next to him about his kids and then immediately starts hitting on her. Where is his wife, Courtney Love, you might ask? Well, right next to him, of course. Well, where else would you hit on somebody except in front of your wife? Yeah, true. Eric loses the match and dad is not happy. Later, they all eat dinner while dad quizzes Eric on current events. Courtney Love tries to step in and say that the food is getting cold but dad says her food, um, I just lost my place. I'm sorry. I am not on today. Oh, so Courtney Love says the food is getting cold, but dad says her food is disgusting no matter what, so it doesn't matter. What an ass. For real. Um, so she's just like, it's Lucille's ball's birthday. Lucille's ball. <laughs> I can't. I'm the worst. Okay. Hold on. Okay. Um, okay. Um, she says, it's Lucille's ball. I can't do it. <laughs> it's Lucille Ball's birthday. She would have been 78. I really did love Lucy. <laughs> That's a lot of work for that line. Yeah. <laughs> now it's nighttime and Courtney and dad are in bed. Dad checks checks to make sure she's asleep before getting up and putting on his robe. 
but she's just faking it. He goes into Eric's room, who also pretends to be asleep, but he wakes him up, unties his robe, and says, you know I love you, before doing something that I can't, nor do I want to see. No. Mm-hmm. The next morning, Courtney Love is perched on Eric's bedside, but they're interrupted by a big bro and his horrible haircut. They have a family meeting where dad announces that he thinks Eric should stay in town and go to college since he's clearly not a tennis player. Um, he can just go to business school instead. Dad says this way, everyone's happy. Everyone except Eric, of course. So he goes upstairs and pops a couple of pills, then stares into the gun cabinet like you do. Yeah, I'm not liking where this is going. He hears Courtney Love and brother fighting, so he goes downstairs. Lyle tells Courtney to, quote, lay off the booze and get on a treadmill. Yikes. <laughs> Which, given who the actress is, one of those things might be applicable. Definitely not the other. Right. <laughs> um, she yanks on his head, and it turns out it's not a bad haircut. It's a bad toupee. What? And I had to go to the Google because I'm like, I'm pretty sure that guy wasn't bald and he wasn't. It's just a weird plot device. <laughs> I think he is now, but he wasn't when they were arrested unless they just let him keep it, which I don't think no. they would have. No, it was thinning <laughs> whenever he was arrested. Like, um, Yeah, it was so weird. <laughs> um, She screams at them that they are her sons and they're supposed to love her for God's sake. Later, Lyle and Eric are playing video games and talking about what they did that summer. Eric says the thing with their dad is still happening, and Lyle promises that dad will never touch him again. Courtney Love is looking at herself in the mirror and telling herself just to get through one more day, and tomorrow will be different. Dad comes home from work, and Lyle confronts him about Eric and says that Eric can't live there anymore. He tells him to keep his hands off Eric, or he'll tell everyone what he did. So dad pushes him against the wall. You know normal right normal family bonding yeah. later that night because i guess he can't take a night off he gets up and goes to eric's room he lectures eric about how easy his life is and how dad is the one who really had a bad life so he should just be more thankful he tells eric he loves him and whatever happens next is eric's doing no and eric freaks out lyle comes in and asks and eric asks him what he thinks his dad meant lyle says obviously it means that their dad is going to kill them so they do what anyone would do in that situation. Call the cops and run away? Go gun shopping. Oh, I forgot. That is the second. That was my, like, my my answer choice B. Like, A was call the cops and run away, but, like, my backup plan was, was buy guns. Mm-hmm. Um, so the shot of them buying guns is interspersed with their dad polishing glasses and their mom on the treadmill. I guess she took his advice. Um, when they get home, she says that they, the plans have changed and they're going fishing tonight. Lyle whispers to Eric that they're totally going to die. And Eric is like, dude, it's a chartered boat. There's going to be a crew on it. And Lyle's like, what if they're in on it? <laughs> wow. And we cut to dad beating the shit out of something with a club. Blood spatters across his face, but it's just a fish, which is also mean. That's not how you do that. You're supposed to just like <laughs> skin the, I mean, like, you know, like. Flay them and never mind. Neither of us are fishermen. I did fish for a long time, but uh, the ugly details are not what necessarily people come to this podcast for. Eric and Lyle try to leave, 
um, the house later to go to the movies, but their dad stops them and sends Eric to his room. He tells Lyle that he's just a fuck up and nobody will ever believe anything he says about him. Courtney says that Lyle has just destroyed this family. Um, Dad says Eric has made a choice and now Lyle has made his choice, which I missed the part of the movie that was choice time. Well, I mean, it's an implied choice. Sure. I don't know what the choice is, but sure, it's implied. (laughs) You know, whether you want cake or pie for dessert. No. Um, Lyle runs upstairs and tells Eric they have to act that night. Eric is like, what about mom? We have to get her to leave the house. And Lyle says that mom is just as bad as dad is. Um, Lyle has a massive chip on his shoulder, by the way. Um, I hadn't Eric noticed. Running away, but Lyle says that dad would just find them. He suggests calling the police, but Lyle just says it would be too embarrassing to be known as the kids who were molested by their father. And I'm like, so what was your murder defense going to be? Yeah. Um <laughs> They were just going to be like, we were playing a game. and Yeah. He says it's either them or their parents, so they run downstairs with their shotguns and start shooting. Courtney begs for her life, but Lyle just screams at Eric to shoot, so he does. Or did he? We'll come back to it. Then everything goes quiet, and Eric just looks at Lyle and says, now what? It's the only so thing go- you can say after that. So they go dump the weapons, come home, call 911, and start running for their Oscar. The police arrive and look more than a little skeptical about their story. They tell the cops that their dad totally made deals with the mob and then ask if they can go home. Uh, They're like, oh, it was probably the mob. Can we leave now? Did we get to hear the 911 call? Not the actual one. No, like, did they make a fake 911 call? Yeah. My favorite part of the real story is the 911 call, so I can't wait to tell you about it. Oh, good. Um... So hold on. Um, so the cops send him to a motel and we get a fast motion view of Lyle sleeping and Eric just pacing around. We cut to the funeral and Lyle gives a very touching eulogy, which is kind of creepy. Um, Eric gets up, but he's unable to give a speech. He just says that he loves everyone and sits back down. Eric and Lyle go home and lounge by the pool, etc. I wonder if they know they no longer have to wear the pleated khakis and pastel shirts. They do not know this. (laughs) I know from research. The news plays over saying that the police are totally befumbled about what happened. And rumor has it it was the mob. Or maybe it was Fidel Castro himself, which is my favorite theory. Like he swam to America, killed these people, and then like hightailed it back to Cuba. (laughs) That's the only two logical choices there are. The mob or Fidel Castro himself. Eric and Lyle are really just living the life. Eric plays tennis while Lyle tells him about how he had his dad's computer wiped. So if they make, if he made a new will without them in it, it's gone now. Lyle says he's going back to Princeton because that's where his life is. And Eric is like, excuse me, what about me? Lyle says he'll be fine because their grandmother's there. And Eric tells him that he misses their parents. Um, Lyle says he can do anything he wants now. So Eric goes to therapy. I think I like Eric. Yeah. Apparently, this is a very, like, Eric sympathetic okay. movie. Yeah. Sympathizing. Um, apparently, he's been going there for quite some time. The therapist is trying to convince him to keep coming to therapy and to take some meds, for God's sake. October 24th, 1989, the police are at the Menendez home waiting for Eric to come down and speak with them. 
One of them says to the other that they need Eric to trust them because right now all they have is a suspicion. Eric is upstairs with some pills and a letter he found uh, from his mother to his father where she was leaving him. And Courtney Love is there. I thought she was dead. She's a ghost. He hallucinates that he's she's uh, there next to him, but he's interrupted by the police who want to get the show on the road. So he they hallucinates her. This isn't like a, a Christmas Carol type situation where she's no, going to have he... him change his past. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, no. They ask him about the movie ticket stubs from the night of the murder, but he says he hasn't found them. Um, and then show him an article about where his brother wrote, like, wrote about how he maybe doesn't want the killer to be caught. What a dumbass. Yeah. Not okay, criminals, not that I'm telling you how to do your job, but don't do that. After they leave, Eric goes to bed and starts hallucinating that his father is there. Whatever those pills are, I don't think they're working. His father says he's going to find him and kill him. Then he wakes up and Courtney Love is back. Eric calls his psychiatrist who's busy making out with one of his patients, like Ew. Is normal. Mm-hmm. Eric goes to the psychiatrist and confesses to the murders. The psychiatrist picks up the phone and calls Lyle and tells him he needs to get there. So Lyle comes and says that this is bound by doctor-patient confidentiality, which, as far as I know about that, does not constrain to murder. Right. I'm pretty sure if you murder someone and tell your doctor about it, they still have to report it. Like, um, yeah, in fact... We covered this case where, or I covered this case where that change happened whenever we, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the stalker cases that I had to do a shallow dive, uh, it was Mm -hmm. in the seventies that that changed because the girl could have been saved if the, um, if the counselor had given up the information. Okay. And, um, okay. Okay. The psychiatrist tells Lyle that he can help them, but he's also recording this with a tape recorder under his desk, so I don't 100% trust him. Um, also, he just looks like a douche. Well, not to mention he's, you know, making out with his patient, so. Mm-hmm. Lyle threatens to kill him, which is... On brand for Lyle, far. apparently. Mm-hmm. So they leave, and Lyle tells Eric he's not alone anymore. And he's not alone anyway, because his mother is in the elevator with them. You are not alone. Lyle tells him to stop thinking about that night. Easy peasy. That's it. Oh, You're good. Cured. <laughs> Who knew therapy was so easy? So he goes to a t- tennis tournament in Tel Aviv. Eric wins. Um, the psychiatrist is trying is home trying to convince his mistress slash patient, who was hiding in the closet the whole time that Eric and Lyle were there, no! confessing to murder. <laughs> what the hell was this movie? That they shouldn't turn them in because they can basically bribe Eric and Lyle for the rest of their lives. How did this particular therapist find all the worst people? I don't know. He goes to get them lunch and tells her to just try to be calm. She tries for 10 whole seconds before she calls the police. (laughs) March 7th, 1990, Lyle is swimming in the pool. Um, And what's the protocol in swimming with a hairpiece? Or did that like go away? You toupee tape it on. Sure, okay. He decides he's hungry, so he's like, let's go to the Cheesecake Factory. (laughs) Just the funniest line of this whole movie. Lyle and his friend hop into Lyle's new Jeep to head to lunch, but they don't even get out of the driveway. Um, 
we cut to what I think is the real press announcement of the arrest and the announcement that the police are trying to find Eric, who is still in Israel. Eric is in his fancy hotel bathtub, talking it out with his mom, hologram, ghost. Mom has sage advice. She says Eric can still save himself. She tells him not to go home and to start a new life instead. Okay, mom has sage advice, but does she also have sage? Because, dude, you're being haunted. <laughs> For real, though. But he turns himself in anyway. He goes to jail where he's strip searched in a very uncomfortable scene where he hallucinates his father is the one strip searching him. No, <laughs> But we did get a whole bare ass in this movie, so there's that. Was it a good um, bare ass? It was all right. Okay. Courtney Love sings him to sleep in his cell, which is weird. <laughs> he sees his was brother it in the yard. smells like teen spirit? No, I wish. That would have been amazing. <laughs> um, he sees his brother in the yard. Lyle promises to take care of him. And Eric calls a lawyer. When she comes to meet him, he's all beat up. So Lyle's definitely not holding up the, his end of the I'll take care of you bargain. But I do have high hopes for this attorney because she was in Legally Blonde. Oh, good. She was all excited about because Eric's psychiatrist turned out to be a complete douchebag who was drugging his patients and sexually assaulting them. So she's like, oh, we can totally get this thrown out. Um, Leslie, the attorney... Asks him what happened the night, but he clams up and never t- doesn't tell her. Um, we get trial prep montage. Eric meets with his attorney. He plays chess with Lyle. He gets swole, you know, in the in the exercise yard like you do usual prison stuff. They lose the motion to throw out the therapist tapes, and I still don't understand how com- doctor patient confidentiality is even relevant in this case. Um, the lawyer says their only hope is if he tells her why they killed his parents. Eric tells Lyle that he wants to tell his attorney and Lyle says the last time he told someone they ended up in prison. But Eric finally stands up for himself, slams the weight bar down on him and says, I'm not the one who confessed on tape. That was you. (laughs) Snap. So he tells Leslie, the attorney, what happened and we cut to the trial. The judge looks like he would rather be absolutely anywhere else than where he is. The defense attorney drops the abuse bombshell which the media immediately labeled the quote abuse excuse, which is not a moniker that I love. No, because I don't know about in this case, but killing your abuser after years and years of abuse is a thing that happens. A lot of family members testify and nobody seems to have anything nice to say about Joe and Courtney love several Um, testified that the boys reported the sexual abuse for many years to family members. Eric and his lawyer are going over a letter he sent to his cousin and ghost Courtney shows up to read it. Good. So Lyle has decided. Does ghost Courtney take the stand? She's like, the stand is just empty. There's just static over the mic and she's giving her testimony. No, it's not that bad. So Lyle has decided to just fuck this whole thing up, I guess, by talking to a journalist and trying to convince people to give false testimony. No. Um, Yeah. Eric and Lyle are arguing and Eric says that Lyle doesn't really have a lot he can say because he did it too. And I was like, record scratch. What now? Lyle testifies in court about the abuse and I won't get into it, but he does confess to molesting his little brother. Oh, Oh. Eric lays in his cell later with Courtney Love and his fan mail comes. Why do people do this? 
I don't know. It's so gross. Um, Courtney Love reads some of the letters out loud and comments on the lady's handwriting. Eric testifies. I declined to get into this either. Except he describes a blowjob as massaging a penis with your mouth. And I think I've been doing it wrong. I don't want that done. <laughs> Eric testifies. It reminds me of like the wine and crime where they thought that blowjob was just kissing all <laughs> that his mother would also come into his room and look at his penis calling it quote checking you out later in the cell Courtney Ghost explains that she wanted to make sure he didn't have any diseases because of all his father's mistresses you're not a doctor like we'll also just call the police and then your husband will stop doing it and then and then go see a doctor um on cross eric recalls what he can of the murder he says he doesn't remember but courtney ghost appears and stands right in front of him urging him to tell the truth but he doubles down and says he doesn't remember so i guess people start sending eric letters of confession about finding their spouse slash partners in bed with their children and instead of writing to someone in prison write to your local police department or call them on the phone or go there. Yeah. I can't with this anymore. And I also, I wonder because they open and read everyone's mail. Like who's, are they not obligated to report that? I don't know. Honestly, I don't. That's weird. However, um, I, have you seen the tweet? This is so not related, but I'm asking you anyway. Have you seen the tweet that... Some guy asks, is the guy always obligated to pay? But he spells it H-A-B-L-A, like, habla espanol. <laughs> I saw that this week in the response. I was like, bitch, I thought you were speaking Spanish. <laughs> um, Courtney Ghost encourages him to write this lady back. And that comes back. Um, back in court, the prosecution plays the 911 call, and then they make one hell of a closing argument. But lawyer Leslie obviously learned a few things from Elle Woods at Harvard Law because she also makes a really good closing statement. Oh, she talks about the um, wet t-shirt contest. Oh, not in this one. She talks about um, their father sticking tacks in their... Oh, yeah. I don't want to talk about it. I wasn't going to go there, but here we are. (laughs) Another DA gets to give a closing statement because I have no idea why. And he says the reason that Eric can describe being molested in that way is because he's gay. And I know that this was the early 90s and people were like super afraid of being gay. But what the fuck? That. What you just said, that's my official statement too. (laughs) Um, And we get a deliberation montage. There seem to be a few sane women on this jury and a bunch of old white dudes that just want to make it clear that they're not gay. Hashtag no homo. Um, They're literally split even between men and women on whether the most molestation testimony is a lie because Eric's gay. And I don't even think he's gay in real life, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So he says, So the guy says, if 
your dad is raping you and then after you turn 18 you continue to have sex with him at that point it's a choice and you're gay like it's not it's not abuse anymore it's just it's just gay sex hashtag no homo oh my god I'm I know so I was so angry right now so angry I was so angry I could not um Courtney Ghost is reading Eric more letters from Tammy with an eye from Minnesota and she's just so happy Eric has a normal relationship and um Courtney I don't think that's normal but what do I know the verdict is in and it's a hung jury so we have a mistrial so they try the case again, but this time they get all that pesky molestation testimony thrown out because in the judge's words, and I'm just quoting, quote, you can't be a battered woman if you're a man. No fucking way. Oh, yeah. In addition, Lyle fucked it all up real bad because he can't keep his mouth shut. And now his girlfriend is writing a tell all book. So Eric and Lyle turn on each other. Eric finally remembers the night of the murder, and Lyle is the one who killed his mother, apparently. Um, March 20th, 1996, the jury deliberates for like five minutes before convicting them. Back in jail, um, Courtney proofreads a love letter to Tammy with an eye. Courtney Ghost tells Eric that she loves him, and the guard comes to get him because he's being transferred. Courtney Ghost hugs his shoulders and says that she forgives him. They run into Lyle on their way out, but the guards separate them and won't let them say goodbye. Eric gets on the bus and voiceovers his letter to Tammy with an eye. At the end, he proposes. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. um, and the ending text is, quote, Eric Menendez married Tammy Sacaman, Sacaman in June of 1999. Eric and Lyle Menendez reside in separate prisons. They have not seen each other in 21 years. They play chess by mail. Under California law, trials where testimony about sexual abuse was restricted may qualify for a retrial. And then it ends with one in five girls and one in 20 boys are the victim of child sexual abuse. So it ends on a real happy note. Uh, yeah, I hear that. Mm. Yeah. Yikes. Okay. Uh, real quick, there will likely be a email notification that pops up in the middle of this recording because it happened while you were talking, so I can't edit it out. Okay. So okay. much fun. Just, uh, everybody, don't panic that your phone's just got an email. It was me. Um, all right. So let's talk about the real Lyle and Eric Menendez. And um, I have good news for you, Aaron. It doesn't get any better. Yay. So Lyle and Eric... Um, were the sons of, or are the sons, I guess, because they're still alive, of Jose Enrique Menendez, who was born in Cuba in 1944. Um, he moved to the United States just after the Cuban Revolution, um, and he attended South Illinois University, which is where he met his wife, uh, Mary Louise Anderson, who went by Kitty. Okay. Uh, they married in 1963, then moved to New York City, and Jose earned an accounting degree from Queens College. Mm -hmm. I forgot to say, uh, my sources are always the Wikipedia article and then um, this wonderful article that ran. Um, oh, I do not remember where I got it, but it's called The Menendez Murders and it's by Caitlin Menza. She is one okay. hell of a writer. Um, and then um, 
CBS News did a report on them, obviously, because everyone did. Um, and then um, an article called uh, from Radar Online called mm-hmm. Meredith, Marriages, Death Plots, and Escape Plan, the Menendez, the Menendez Brothers' Secret Prison es- prison Secrets Exposed. I'm as you good as you Menendez? are today. You say Menendez like I say Lucille. <laughs> right? <laughs> Which now I can say it because I don't have to. Right, right. Um, in any case, and then an article on their testimony from the LA Times. So mm. now back to my notes. Um, so the... The older son, Joseph Lyle Menendez, um, who went by his middle name, he went by Lyle, was born Mm -hmm. January 10th, 1968. And Kitty was... Wow. I thought they were way younger. uh Uh-uh. Because he was 21 at the time of the killing in 1989. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Look, I'm still struggling with the fact that in about a month, the year 2000 will be 20 years ago. Nope. (laughs) Yes, but no. Um, so Kitty had been a teacher up until her son was born, but she quit her teaching job and they moved to New Jersey. Um, and that's where Eric was born on November 27th, 1970. Mm -hmm. Um, in New Jersey, the family lived in Hopewell Township, uh, and both brothers attended the Princeton Day School. Um, Mm, so in 1968, Jose's career, um, as a corporate executive took them to Calabasas, California. That's where the Kardashians live. Well, they're BFF. I don't know. Really? No, I don't know. Oh, I was like, whoa. Doesn't everyone in Calabasas know each other? Well, it wouldn't be like completely outside the realm of possibility since Robert Kardashian was like an attorney and like kind of a big, like rubbed elbows with a lot of famous people, so... Um, so that following year, um, Eric began, um, high school in Calabasas. He was an average student, but he was a remarkable tennis player. Um, well, not according to his father. He was ranked 44th in the nation for 18 and under. So that means there's 43 other winners. Right. He's the 43rd loser. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Lyle enrolled at Princeton, but during his freshman year, he was placed on academic probation for grades and attendance and um, was suspended for a year after he was accused of plagiarism. Okay. So, um, so I'm a middle school teacher and I can catch up, like, I can catch plagiarism, like, from a mile and a half away. Can you imagine these Princeton professors? Like, you're an idiot, dude. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So, um, that's just kind of a little background on them. Um, and so they really fell into the public eye because on the evening of August 20th, 1989, Jose and Kitty were sitting on a couch in the den of their house in Beverly Hills when Lyle and Eric walked in carrying shotguns, you know, just cash. Hey mom. Hey dad. Yep. Yep. That's crazy. Um, Jose was shot in the back of the head with a 12 gauge shotgun. Unless he didn't see it coming. Unless he did. Don't know. Kitty was awakened by the sound of the shots and she uh, got it from the couch. She so was they sh- were sleeping. Mm-hmm. So I don't know which would be worse. Like being shot, like being woken up by being shot or being woken up by someone next to me being shot. And then knowing that I'm next. Right. 
Um, I don't know which one of those is worse. So while she, I hope I never find out. Right. (laughs) So while she was running, she got shot in the leg, which made her fall. Obviously, Um, she actually slipped on her own blood and fell. It's not even like the injury made her fall. Um, And then she was shot several times in the arm, chest, and face, leaving Mm -hmm. her like visually unrecognizable. Well, a shotgun will do that to you. Yep. Both of them were also shot in the kneecaps in an attempt to make... <gasps> no! No! No, 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 oh. no. Stop. Make it 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 stop. <laughs> I didn't, no, I didn't I write it. I can literally feel that. I can feel it. It's no. like It's like hand injuries I can feel. No, please don't. Oh. Um, anyway, in an attempt to make it look like it was connected to organized crime or the mob. <laughs> yep. Please tell me they were already dead when they were shot in the kneecaps because I can't. Yes, they were. And then um, the boys did what everyone would do as soon as they're finished. Go to the movies? Yes. I just know because of the album. <laughs> they bought tickets. And so they actually went. They just didn't decide like, oh, we're going to say we were at the movies. No, they went and bought tickets and it was, and they changed. Let's see. I have that written down in here. Because um, I have written down what movie it was. Um. Yeah, they bought tickets for Batman. Mm-hmm. Then they tossed the guns and changed into clean, like not bloody clothes, and drove back to their house and pretended to discover the scene. And that's when Lyle was it? Yeah, Lyle calls nine one one, and it is the best slash worst nine one one call ever. Because if it was anything like the movie, it was full of theatrics. Whatever the 911 operator answers, you know, like 911, what's your emergency? He goes, mm-hmm. someone killed our parents. Just like that. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and, um, you know, like, linguists would have a field day with just that sentence alone. Because most people, sane people who did not actually kill their family would start more with like, my parents are dead or I need someone out here now or anything more than someone killed my parents. Oh no. Like the one in the movie was very theatrical, but then like their, the lie that they told the police was so weird. It was like, he was like, well, we were going to go see Batman. And then he said something about like a different movie. And I was like, dude, the easiest lie to tell is the simple one. Right. Yikes, man. Okay. Um, so in fact, here's the timeline leading up to that. On August the 18th, 1989, Eric and Lyle went and purchased shotguns at a big five sporting goods store mm-hmm. in San Diego, over a hundred miles away from their house. Mm. So they like really okay. went out of their way. And they then, did. On August 19th, their parents chartered a yacht and took them shark fishing. Fun. Except don't fish for sharks. That's bad. Don't do it. And then on August 20th, they burst into the den and discharged 15 shots into their parents. Like, total, it was 15 shots. It's overkill if I've ever seen it. Eric said that he fired first, but it was Lyle who fired the best. He was the one who... Uh, who shot Jose in the back of the head and w- gave Kitty the fatal blow to her face. Is that the thing you want to be the best at, though? Mm, you know. I... You gotta be good at something. I guess. Um, so, 
When they returned home, they made this 911 call and made the whiny, someone killed our parents. Mm -hmm. And then when the police came, the brothers told them that they'd gone to the theater to see Batman and then to the annual Taste of L.A. festival in Santa Monica. Gotta Uh, hit up that festival. You can't, you can't (laughs) let your parents' deaths ruin that festival life. Right? Um, and then the, um, the police who are super good, Mm. super good, um, didn't like, they just questioned the boys. They didn't really do a formal interview. They also didn't test them for gunshot residue. Sure. Which would be kind of the first thing of a, of a investigation today, but you know, with the 80s MBD. Um, it was the 80s. Like There was no way to know how to do anything. <laughs> On my favorite murder, they often say the 80s needed to be arrested just the whole the decade. 80s, the <laughs> 80s did need to be arrested for I support real, though. That. Um, oh, Lord. So, um, I don't know how any of us survived. Right. Um, let's see. Where did I, oh, okay. So, um, in the months that followed, the brothers did the only logical thing and spent all of their parents' money. And the six months between their parents' murders, I almost said deaths like it was not a murder, but in the six months between them killing their parents and them finally getting arrested for it, they blew through almost a million dollars. How? Yeah. Um, Well, I'll tell you how. I I can spend a million dollars in six months, but also I'm in crippling debt up to my eyeballs and have a bunch of shit to pay for hold on here's are you, there's a list of things you want to know yes lyle bought a rolex another mm-hmm. one i read said three rolexes let me find that and see was it Do you think the apple watch is gonna put rolex out of business yes do you think so, rolex will come out with a smartwatch i hope so wouldn't that be bomb? I have a fossil smartwatch, and I don't like it as much as I liked my Apple Watch. So I, I need love my Apple Watch. Um, That's my favorite. So, yeah, yeah. Because what you need instead is a Rolex smartwatch. I do. I do. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so nothing like that teacher salary to buy that Rolex. <laughs> Listen, you don't know how much they pay in Louisiana. It's I know nothing. your wife is a bougie doctor now, but well, it's geez. not that bougie. We work for the state. <laughs> um, in any case, Lyle spent $15,000 on three Rolex watches. And, um... You really thought they were more expensive than that. Well, this is the 80s. Things were cheaper. And I also slightly. just want to say, like, I would buy a Cartier Love bracelet, but they're $20,000. So I Lyle is doing better than Oh, me. I haven't finished the list of stuff, but... Oh, good. Okay. Um, and he showed off his Rolex at the funeral. So... He sits next That's to... That's not a good look. Before I finish this list, this is a side story that I enjoy. Um, so he sits next to his father's secretary named Marzi Eisenberg in the limo sure. home from the funeral services and showed off his new Italian leather shoes and then says, Hey, Marzi, who said I couldn't feel my father's shoes? <laughs> that face is how I feel, Yes. No one, I guess. Then he looked to one of his friends who was in the limo and said, how do you think I could buy tickets to the U.S. Open? So that's the day of the funeral. Oh, well, you can't. So here's the complete list. He bought three Rolexes, a Porsche Carrera, Porsche Carrera, sorry, mm-hmm. um, 
and um, a, a restaurant called Chuck's Spring Street Cafe. A, he bought a restaurant. Oh, a second restaurant, a Buffalo Wing restaurant in Princeton, New Jersey. He bought two restaurants. Yeah. Well, you get hungry. So why not just buy Go the restaurant? Go to the restaurant? factory. <laughs> um, Eric hired a full-time... I'm bored. I'm going to buy a restaurant. Right? What the fuck is that? Eric um, hired a full-time tennis coach and competed in a series of tournaments in Israel. Mm-hmm. And then okay. they left the family mansion and bought adjoining condos in Marina del Rey. And so, like, no one's living in their mansion. They're living in these condos. Only rich brothers would think it is a good idea to buy adjoining condos. <laughs> right? That's um, like the douchiest shit I've ever heard. Then they drove around L.A. in their dead mother's Mercedes Benz. Okay. Dined at the most expensive restaurants and went on overseas mm-hmm. trips to the Caribbean and London. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, they, they just li- stayed there. They lived their best life. I mean, you really got away. You should have just stayed gone. But I'm not here to tell a criminal how to do his job. Right. Although I do feel, I think I feel sorry for them. I think. I don't know, honestly. There's neither. There's not. I'll t- get into their testimony in a minute. Yeah. So during the early stages of the investigation, the police tried to narrow down to people who would have motives to kill the couple. Um, sure. One of these people. Included a pornography distributor named Noel C. Bloom, but he had no involvement and was quickly cleared. And they never talk about how they got to this person. So I really feel like the LAPD was like, there's that guy with the porn again. Let's get him. <laughs> like, um, You have the, nothing else to do with your time, LAPD? Potential mob leads. Of course, nothing came of that. Um, the police believe that the brothers, finally, they believe the brothers were most likely culprits since they had obvious financial motives and were spending lots of money just after the murders. No. <laughs> well, I think maybe we're on to something. Well, butter my ass and call me a bitch. <laughs> um, so, the, um... In an attempt to get a confession from Eric, the police mm-hmm. got one of their friends, uh, Craig Signorelli, to um, wear a wire while having lunch with him at a restaurant. Never trust a guy named Craig. Right? Um, when Craig asked Eric if he killed his parents, Eric initially said no, but eventually confessed to his psychologist. Um after Lyle threatened him, the psychologist told his mistress about the murders and she told the police about the brother's involvement. So what I'm telling you is a lot of this movie is real, real good. Like, unfortunately, it's accurate. I still don't understand the doctor-patient confidentiality issue. Well, he didn't tell Maybe the police. Maybe it was before HIPAA? Maybe. I don't know. Um, There's no way to know it was the 80s. So Lyle was arrested on March 8th, 1990. So Eric turned himself in three days later um, mm-hmm. after returning to L.A. from Israel. Both mm-hmm. were held without bail and were separated from each other. Um, mm-hmm. They were, in fact, they've always been separated from each other. So, like, the scenes where they were, like, lifting weights together was not accurate. They're getting swole. Yeah. Um, not six-pack bod. In August of 1990, the judge stated that tapes of the conversations between Eric and his uh, psychologist were admissible since mm-hmm. um, 
Lyle violated doctor-patient privilege by threatening the um, the psychologist. Right. Um, since that ruling was appealed, the proceedings were delayed for two years. But doctor... <sighs> the... That doesn't apply! There's a whole episode of, of Grey's Anatomy about this issue. Well, so the Supreme Court... Well, the girl goes into the, the doctor's office, like she... She commits a crime, and that's why she's in the like the ER. And at the end, she was like, she confesses to one of the doctors, and she's like, "I did this, blah blah blah." And she's like, "But you can't tell anyone." And they were like, "No, dude, like that's lawyers. I have to report if you hurt someone." Right. Um, well, <laughs> so the Supreme Court of California eventually ruled that most of the tapes were admissible, except for the one of Eric discussing the murders. Okay. So they got to keep the one important one. Mm-hmm. Um, after that decision, an LA County grand jury issued indictments in December of 1992, charging mm-hmm. the brothers with the murders of their parents. Okay. Um, so they were just held in jail for these two years while courts were deciding if these tapes were allowed. Sure. So surprisingly, I know it's going to shock you too. I am shocked um, already. It was a national sensation and court TV broadcast the hell out of this trial oh i remember i was not allowed to watch this but i do remember right i do not remember because i was five so i was just a little young to i was watch like it. coming when was it 94 93 93 yeah so i was like in the fifth sixth grade and uh-huh. i remember being like fascinated you know of course right like, i was fascinated by it um their defense lawyer was named leslie she was leslie abramson um, and she became, right. She became known for her theory that the brothers were driven to murder by a lifetime of abuse, especially sexual abuse at the hands of their father, um, who was described as quote, a cruel perfectionist and pedophile. And their mother was described as sef- selfish, mentally unstable, an alcoholic and a drug addict who encouraged her husband's abuses and was also sometimes violent toward them. So, um, they, I think you have said this in the past because it feels like a you quote. You know, half of the story is dead and they're not able to defend themselves. So we will never fully know. But, oh, you know, yeah. like. So when I was growing up, my pastor, who I actually did, the one pastor that I actually have ever, like, really loved, used to say, no matter how flat you make a pancake, it still has two sides. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um. The trial ended, the first trial ended with two deadlock juries. And so um, the district attorney announced that they immediately that they would be retried. The second trial was somewhat less publicized, partly because the judge did not allow cameras in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. And they kind of suspected that the sensationalism of the trials were what made this such a like deadlocked case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Um, the, also during the second trial, um, they did not allow much defense testimony about the sexual abuse claims and did not allow the jury to vote on manslaughter charges instead of murder charges. So originally they were like, you know, if we can't get murder, then at least manslaughter. And in this case, it was murder or nothing. Okay. Um, they were both convicted of two counts of first degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the penalty phase of the trial, they were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Um, the jury said that the defense, the abuse defense was not a factor in its deliberations, 
but they chose not to impose the death penalty because they had no criminal record or violence prior to the murders of their parents. Um, And that's the thing that kind of hangs me up on this abuse situation Mm -hmm. is that they were not violent and they had no history of violence. Um, But I will get into now their um, testimony. Um, And the LA Times did a really good job at reporting on their testimony. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, before I get into that, I've been waiting to tell you about this this one article that I thought was so good. This is the Caitlin Menza writing. Yeah. Okay. So you talked about the sweaters and the, like the clothes that they were wearing and didn't they know yeah. they didn't have to wear that anymore? Well, that's my dad is a lawyer uniform. That's what they wore to all of their trials. Like to every day. In fact, here is a picture from one of their trials. I want you to see this sweater. That's a deep V, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was looking at the mint green one, but yes, that is a deep V. Oh, Did hold you... on. Show me again. A mock turtleneck. Wow. Yes. Yes. So um, <laughs> this is the way Caitlin Menza starts well, this article. the art- best trial fashion will always be Anna Delvey, who had a stylist. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so... Um, Eliza, I mean, Caitlin Menza starts her, I don't know where Eliza came from. I don't either. (laughs) Caitlin Menza starts with this and it is what sold me on this whole article. Mm -hmm. Those stupid sweaters. Close your eyes and conjure the Menendez brothers and they're wearing matching sweaters, the vivid unnatural colors of jelly beans. The two handsome young men wore to court what one might wear to cocktail hour at the country club, as if they were chilly after a tennis match. Maybe they were trying to look younger or more wholesome or otherwise less capable of murdering their parents. Instead, their sartorial choices only chiseled out their own caricature, the spoiled rich boys who thought they could get away with anything. (laughs) Caitlin is going in for the kill, but... Caitlin has that that prose gift. I love it. Yes. But I just love that it starts with those stupid sweaters. (laughs) Well, listen. You see enough of those fucking sweaters and you're like, God damn it. I hate those sweaters. (laughs) (laughs) Trust Um, me, I went to college with boys who only wore those sweaters. No, hard pass. Mm. So the LA Times, when they reported on the testimony, um, they reported mostly on Eric Menendez's uh, testimony. And they start started out, this is Alan A... This is even worse. This is Alan Abrahamson, which is the upgraded version of Leslie Abramson. Yeah. <laughs> so They're related somehow. Somehow. <laughs> um, so he says... Pale and trembling, Eric Menendez testified Monday that he and his brother killed their parents after he'd been molested for 12 years. So Pale and trembling. Yes. Everyone's trying to write that next weird Harlequin novel. <laughs> um, Zero stars. Do not recommend. Okay. <laughs> so um, he says that they acknowledged the killings, um, but left his full account for them. Sorry, acknowledging the killings, but leaving his full account for them for another day. Menendez spoke about the abuse in um, in a choking voice, saying his father was subject. His father had subjected him to sex and violence from ages six to eighteen. Um, and then it's uh, you know he testified that his father stuck pins and tacks in him and threatened death if the secret got out. It's um, so bad. <clears throat> 
In a halting voice that grew so soft it could barely be heard in the courtroom, Menendez said of the abuse, I hated it, I hated it, I hated it. I just wanted it to stop. Listen, I'm into some weird shit sometimes, but if anybody tried to stick a tack in me, uh-uh. You are not a pincushion. No. I didn't even know pincushion was a kink, but it's not mine. Um, Look, there's a kink for everything. Never Google whether or not there's a kink for no, something, because pass. I guarantee you there is. Um, so the, um, it goes on to talk about just kind of the courtroom itself. And then, um, his attorney, Leslie Abramson says, Mr. Menendez, where do you live? And he responds, uh, the Los Angeles County jail. Um, and then she says, what do you believe was the originating cause of you and your brother ultimately winding up shooting your parents? And he says, me telling Lyle that uh, my dad, my dad, my dad, my dad had been molesting me. Um, and then he says that the molestation began around his sixth birthday and it continued right into August of 1989. Um, he said that Je Jose had ordered him not to tell anybody. Um, and then he said he told me he'd kill me. He told me he'd tie me to a chair and beat me to death. And then he... Which is very aggressive. He gave uh, testimony that the sexual abuse took four different forms that he'd given names to. Okay. Um, they were... He named them knees, nice sex, rough sex, and sex. Oh, knees is the blowjob. Did you know that from the movie? Um, he... Uh, he said the last incident of sex, which is... Um, Sorry. So he only um, explained knees and sex. He did not explain nice sex or rough sex. Um, but he said the last case of sex had occurred in May of 1989, but uh, knees had occurred the month of the killings. Um, so um, he said that he knew the abuse was extremely abnormal, but he did not want to be humiliated by reporting it. He swore his friends would never mm -hmm. find out because of that. He also believed that the, he also said that the abuse was partly his fault um, because he never stopped him. I let him go on. He added, I thought I was a coward. I hated myself for it. Um, he, um, he said only once did he uh, resist his father's sexual demands. Um, he said, I just didn't want it anymore. I was just in a bad state that day. He walked in the room and I said, no. So he threw me on the bed and he went to get a knife and put it at my throat. Okay. Um, so I'm not going to go into more details because this is a horrible testimony that I, we will never know the truth. I hope this poor guy did not have to go through this. Um, yeah. Oh, Hey, here it is. I was wrong. Um, on August 15th, before the killings, he confided in his brother, he said, after seeing his mother rip off Lyle Menendez's toupee. So apparently Lyle was wearing a toupee. Okay. Um, before then, his brother's hair looked always neat and always perfect, Eric said, but the bald spot had made him seem more approachable. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, he said that... Lyle threatened to expose the family scandal if he if it didn't stop. 
And his father was more angry than I'd ever seen him. Threw him down on the bed. He said he grappled with his father, then escaped and ran downstairs, stumbled into his mother, who told him, I'm, I've always known you think I'm stupid. Um, and okay. then she, he said he told his mother, I hate you, and then dashed out to join his brother in guest house. Um, that night, they went and bought, brought the shot. Like, so... That was Thursday night. Friday morning, they went out and bought the shotguns. Okay. Um, Saturday, they went on the fishing trip. And his mother said on the fishing trip, if you just kept your mouth shut, things would have worked out for the family, is what his testimony was. And then, um, and so then it was the next day that he shot his parents. So that was his testimony. This is Eric's testimony. Okay. I thought so, you said Lyle because of the toupee. No, no he only told Lyle about the abuse because of the toupee incident. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so, um, again, they're both found guilty life uh, life sentences, but not the death penalty. Um, they uh, were separated and sent to different prisons. They um, actually remained in separate prisons until February of 2018. Okay. Um, so they um, appealed a few times. They were all denied. Um, so their last one was in 2005. It was denied as well. Um, so then through the course of the... Um, let me get to these notes. Through the course of their trial... You know, they were televised, like I said. Um, they both amassed a following of um, of women who thought they were super beautiful, hot, attractive. I don't know. I don't care. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. They weren't unattractive. I will give them that. I w- like, I will say, under normal circumstances, I'd be like, that guy's good looking. But right. so, then I just picture them with a shotgun in their hand, and that fixes that for me. Right. So, um... In 1999, so 10 years after the murder, um, after the murders, rather, um, Eric mm-hmm. married Tammy Sockerman at the Folsom State Prison. You said after, that better than I did. Good for you. After she noticed him on TV during his trial, and they are still together to this day. And I'll talk about her a little bit more in a little bit. That's interesting. Uh-huh. Now, Lyle married a model named Anna Erickson in 1996, but she mm-hmm. divorced him after she caught him cheating by writing to other women. How does a guy in prison have a more entertaining love life than I do? So, uh, he, so unfair. <laughs> he married again uh, seven years later in 2003 to Rebecca Sneed, who is now a defense attorney. Uh, okay. Yeah. So just interesting. Um, so... Let's see. Lyle once said in an interview, one thing I've learned is that your physical comfort is much less important than your connection with the people around you. I found I can have a healthy marriage that is complicated and built around conversation and finding creative ways to communicate sharing without all the props that are normally there in the marriage in terms of going out to dinner and having as much intimate time together and so on. Okay. So that's how Aaron, that's how he has a much more complex love life. And here I am just working and looking cute, being successful. 
No. Mm-mm. I guess I should just kill someone. Duh. Um, so Tammy wrote a tell-all book. Like I said, that's the one who's still married. She, she wrote a tell-all Good book. It's called "They Said We'd Never Make It: My Life with Eric Menendez." Well, I will say that Eric sounds like the more sane of the two. Yes. <laughs> um. So she said she gave some accounts of things that he told her. Um. She said that once he was severely beaten behind bars after he was targeted for death, Eric asked his fellow inmate Scotty if he could return a book that he that Eric had let him borrow. Um, the inmate told him that he'd given the book to another man who was, quote, easily six feet five inches tall and about 300 pounds, mm-hmm. and that Eric had to go get it from him. The two men got in a vicious fight. And then she said, on the top of Eric, Scotty wildly clawed and punched... Eric managed to squeeze his hands up to the man's chest and shove him off. And Eric heard a new voice holler, get down. Suddenly something powerful rammed into his back. His body rocketed forward and plowed into the ground. Then a fist struck the back of his head and another hit his neck. Another collided with the left side of his face. The world flickered and momentarily went black. And it was a guard who was hitting him. Okay. So, um... Eric was put in solitary con- confinement after that. Okay. Um, and then he was there a few years later, um, this time because there was a plot to kill him. So they put him there for his own protection. Ugh. Uh-huh. So Eric was also placed in solitary confinement because p- prison officials accused him of trying to, of hatching a plan to escape. Mm-hmm. Um. And in the book, she says his clothes have been stripped from him before he was taken to this place. He has nothing but an old blanket and a mattress in the middle of the floor. This is all, this is a different kind of cell. No bunks, no desk, no chairs, no soap, no towel, no writing material, not even a book. Okay. Um, so he denied ever having a, like, plotted to escape and passed a polygraph test. But we know how polygraphs can be. So uh, inadmissible in court. I'm just reporting the news. Um, so, um, meanwhile, Lyle, um, his former jailmate, um, Eugene L. Weems once made a claim that Lyle was considered a coward and a rich gay boy. Um, he said, Lyle suggested I should speak with his lover about participating in a book for at-risk youth. And Weems, who is an author, said um, said that he even asked, what do you mean your lover? And then he said, he noticed the confused expression on my face. And before I could inquire into what he just said, he quickly corrected himself and said, you might want to talk to my cellmate. Um, so... It was alleged for a long time that he was in a relationship with a man named Chino, who was a handsome Hispanic man with an athletic build. And I mean, good for him. Yeah, good for him. And so there have been a lot of rumors that um, Lyle has this, like, long-term relationship with this guy that he's been in jail with for a long time. Or in Mm -hmm. prison with, I mean. So, So finally... In 2018, like I mentioned, they were placed back in this, or they were placed in the same prison. It's the first time they have seen each other in 22 years. Okay. Um, and that is where they are today. So that's the Menendez brothers and all their Hooray. sweaters. That is wild. And going into this, 
I thought I was 100% convinced that that they had made up the abuse allegations, but I'm not convinced now. I'm really not either. There were a couple of things where they had like written letters to their cousins where they don't openly talk about it, but they say things like it's still happening. I'm scared and things like that. And I'm like, Oh fuck that. No, Uh thank you. So there was something going on. Yes. Whether it was him physically sexually abusing them or just being an asshole. Yes. I don't know. Again, like, don't kill your parents, call the cops, but still, like, I don't know. It's so complicated. Yes. Do you have a Lifetime movie of the week for me? I really, really don't. That's unacceptable. Working today, throw, throw, throw. (laughs) And throw Lucille's ball life away. Lucille's balls. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Well, Which is our episode title, by the way. Yes. Um, so I got this one from MailMagazine.com. And oh. it's the true crime stories that made our jaws drop in 2018. So it's last nice. year. Um, the headline is Joe Exotic, a cautionary tale of a murder for hire plot involving tigers, Michael Jackson's pet alligators, and of course, a Florida man. Oh my god, there's a podcast about this. Is there really? Yeah. I've not heard of it before today. Okay, hold on. I'll find a name while you tell me about it because I can't remember. Okay, so um, it says The Crime, a bizarre botched murder for hire plot to kill rival animal sanctuary owner. And then the perpetrator, and this is what drew me to this. Just People the, be dumb. Just the description of this perpetrator. Exotic roadside zoo owner Joe Exotic, a gay libertarian with a bleach blonde mullet who had previously brought up Michael Jackson's pet alligators, made a bid for president in 2016. Yeah, so his, yeah, that's what I was going to say. The name of the podcast is, it's a wondery podcast, so it's good. It's called Joe Exotic Over My Dead Body. And yeah, I remember he ran for president. Yeah. So, um... The world is a weird place. The hitman he tried to hire was an undercover FBI agent. And sure. then the bigger mystery is the Florida man phenomenon and why it seems like so much crazy shit happens in the Sunshine State. And then the write-up that they have with this is all you need to rate, make a Lifetime movie. Excellent. Imagine a man who looks like Guy Fieri's older brother who quit working at the family shoe store to follow... <laughs> To follow his dreams of professionally cooking meth. Now, Guy Fieri, older. Now Hello. imagine that same man owns and operates a roadside zoo in Oklahoma that houses lions, tigers, and alligators that once belonged to Michael Jackson. Imagine though that this man ex- man's exotic animal zoo is technically licensed as a rendering facility, not as an animal care facility. Imagine the enemies and critics a man like that would have in the exotic animal community. Lastly, imagine that same man was just arrested in a town called Gulf Breeze after he allegedly attempted to hire an assassin to murder the CEO of an animal sanctuary called Big Cat Rescue. You don't watch Shit's Creek, do you? No. Mm. There's an episode of Shit's Creek where the guy, well, it's, I won't really explain it, but there's a guy like going, going to get his driver's license and he's like talking to his sister about how nervous he is. And she like leans in the window and she's like, Oh my God, David, 
nobody cares. And that's how I feel about this guy being licensed as a whatever instead of. A... <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you know, I don't watch things, but I did. You yesterday... should watch Shit's Creek. It's fucking funny. I did yesterday watch The Mandalorian, the first episode on Disney. <gasps> oh, Plus. my God. Is it so good? It's so good. So I heard it was really good, and then I heard it peters out after, like, episode three. But well, I haven't watched it either. there have only been three episodes, so whoever told you right. that is a liar. Um, well, no, I mean, I think they meant that episode three was not Oh, good. gotcha. So yeah. the fourth one drops, I think, next week or later this yeah. week. Um, anyway, yeah, so there's my crazy crime for you for today. Yes, that's a wild one, for sure. All right, well, you want to tell all the lovely folks where they can find us? Um, yeah, you can find us on Instagram at Lifetime Sentence, on Twitter at Life Sentence Pod. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Lifetime Sentence. Um, you can email us at Lifetime Sentence Podcast at gmail.com. And find our show notes and other things at uh, Lifetime Sentence.com. And of course, as always, please follow us on the Patreon. We're having a lot of fun. There's 30 whole episodes. Like if you just cannot get enough of us. You can listen to 30 more episodes of us talking about junk and that's patreon.com slash lifetime sentence that covered it all man you didn't even need me Oof. that was a mouthful <laughs> you look exhausted i am i have a nap how i mean how tired are your arms from carrying this whole podcast because i'm just gonna sit back <laughs> as christine schieffer would say i just flew in from la and boy are my arms tired <laughs> all right well until next time, don't forget to eat your vegetables. Charge your phone. Bye. Bye. This has been Lifetime Sentence, where the truth really is stranger than fiction. Thanks for listening.